a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Ever snore so loud it registered as an earthquake or you woke up with a throat as dry as the Sahara Desert and a headache that could stop a locomotive? Well, I've had all of these because I have sleep apnea. Hi, I'm Scott Mitchell. Yep, I wear a machine plugged into a wall attached to a hose every night. Sound Sleep Medical changed all of this for me, and they can do that for you. They specialize in providing oral appliance therapy for individuals suffering from sleep disorders. In many cases, oral appliances have proven to be as effective as CPAP machines in treating sleep apnea. The lack of sleep is a serious health risk and has been linked to heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and even depression. The oral appliance I got from Sound Sleep Medical has freed me from a hose. I can go anywhere, and I've never slept better. Call Sound Sleep Medical today. Seriously, for a limited time, the first 25 people that call get a free consultation worth 200 bucks. Call 801-783-5451. It's 801-783-5451. Hello, I'm Jim Bennett. And this is Eliza Bennett. Eliza Bennett. And this is Dinner Table Politics. Eliza, fun to have you back on Dinner Table Politics. Thanks for having me. It feels good to be fed again. To be fed again, yes. Well, we wanted to have you on because you are the most politically savvy Bennett at the moment because you've had first-hand political experience in this last legislative session. Correct? Right. I was up on the hill this session. You were the intern for Senate President Stuart Adams, yeah, a conservative Republican. A very conservative Republican. Just like you. Not just like me, but he thinks it's just like him. Does he, does he think you're a conservative Republican? Most people do. There were two senators who found out that I'm not very Republican, and it became this secret. Can you name names? Session's um, over. Which, yeah. which senators knew you were not a Republican? Dan McCain knew I wasn't. Right. And Todd Weiler, I don't know if he actually knew I wasn't or he was just making jokes, but he made jokes a lot about how I was a crazy Democrat. Well, that sounds like Todd Weiler. Todd Weiler texted me near the end of the session and asked me to come up and visit you. And that gave me the opportunity to go on the floor of the Senate. I'd never done that before. And it was kind of exciting. It was kind of fun. I, it was, was it, cool the first day I was there, and then I got really bored sitting on the dais with President Adams. It got old? It got old pretty fast. The so rest you, of it was cool, though. So you were sitting on the dais the entire time yeah, during the Yeah, every session? day during floor time, if he was on the floor, I was on the floor. I I always told people I'm like the deacon in sacrament meeting who sits next to the bishop. Like, I don't do you're, a lot, you're the but every messenger. once in a while, yeah. Right. Well, what, what were some of the things that you would do if you had to do something? Um, I'd go get him reports on, like, how many bills we were passing at what rate i'd go talk to a senator to see if they wanted to uncircle one of their bills 
I'd go tell them to answer their phones because President Adams was calling them. Super exciting stuff. Super secretive, top secret. Right. That sounds unbelievably exciting. Well, so what was the most amazing thing that happened to you while you were in the session? That happened to me or that happened during the session? Well, both. Um, The most exciting thing that happened to me was when they provided interns with free Cafe Rio because that was a slam dunk. Whoa. Did that happen often? Cafe Rio happened twice, I think. Well, the day I came, there was Free Little Caesars. That's not nearly as good as Cafe Rio. No, not nearly as good. But we're still grateful for it. Interns were still glad. But the most exciting thing that happened during the session was just for me to really see and understand like Republican viewpoint on the other side. I think like what I realized is that people like, I don't know, I think we get so in our heads about partisanship and there's so much fighting among the two parties that you forget that everyone is just truly trying to do what they believe is best. And they're just, there are different ways to get there. And so that's truly what the two parties are. And so I felt like I didn't have to hide that much because when I was in the room with President Adams, I really did agree with things he was saying because he was just trying to make life better for his constituents and for the people of Utah. Well, that's that's actually a really good insight. And it's one to have at such a young age that will be very helpful to you going forward because I didn't have that kind of an insight until I was much, much older than you. Well, that's not necessarily true. I was an intern for Senator Alan Simpson of Wyoming in the United States Senate. And Alan Simpson had a radio show called Face Off with Ted Kennedy and Al Simpson. And I got to write episodes of Face Off. They would record them. Senator Kennedy and Senator Simpson would record separately. They'd each record several affirmative cases. And then they would respond to the other affirmative cases. And and, uh, they would record them without being in the same room with each other. And so it was my job not just to write them but to take the scripts over to Senator Kennedy's office. And so I got to know the interns and the people over in Senator Kennedy's office. And I don't know if you are too young to remember just how loathed Ted Kennedy was by most Republicans. Do, do, I'm, yeah, I'm too young. You're too young? Uh, yeah, well, but it was a real eye-opener for me to get to know the interns over there and to be able to talk to the Kennedy staff and realize these are just people And they're people that may have different ideas than I do, but everybody wants what's best for the country. And in Utah, everybody wants what's best for the state. They have different ideas how to get there. But the insight that you've had that those are people who just want good things and they're not terrible people, that's, I think, a very valuable insight that will serve you well in the years to come. So congratulations. Thanks, dude. Really glad I really glad I did it. I would recommend it to everyone. Well, so while you were doing that, Abby and I were sitting here sniping at you. Not you personally, but at the legislature. Right. Complaining about the things that were happening up on the Hill. And I'm wondering if maybe you can give me some inside baseball. Particularly, we were upset about how the initiatives were gutted. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that was a huge topic of conversation. Yeah. So... So Prop 2 with marijuana happened before I got there. It happened in a special session in December. And then they had like made a vow, like, we're not really going to run any medical marijuana bills this session. We want to like let it take effect and then we'll evaluate and come back. And so I didn't see much of the Prop 2 debate. Um, I saw all of Prop 3 happen and then Prop 4 started to get discussed. But um, in the end, nothing went forward with Senator Bramble and the better boundaries people they're still in discussions but so senator bramble is leading the charge against prop four it's not against this is so i think this is one of those things where like being there helped me realize like 
why they're doing this because normally i would look at like them especially with like prop three and medicaid expansion i would say this is dismantling what the people said how dare they how dare they like i would be the ones up in arms i would probably be protesting but being in the room hearing you've been sucked into the system i've been sucked into the system i subscribe to the system now because i truly like i think everyone was so mad that how dare they not let us expand Medicaid? But they were expanding Medicaid is the thing. They did still expand from zero to 100%. Uh, zero to 100% of the federal poverty line are completely covered. And there are all these super hardcore Republican senators like Senator Anderegg, who has always been, even Senator Christensen, who ran SB 96, the Medicaid expansion bill, have always been completely against any Medicaid expansion. And so I think you see them as ignoring the people's voice, but they really are listening to it because they expanded in, and they didn't want to expand themselves. They hated this, that they were even expanding this far. Um, and I also saw, like, I think the most important part that people were forgetting was, like, this fiscal aspect of, like, how expensive it is to, to expand Medicaid to 138%. And people were really mad because SB96 had a bigger upfront cost than Medicaid expansion did, than all the way Medicaid expansion that the people voted on. But in the end, the thing they did will ensure that Utah won't go into truckloads of debt over Medicaid expansion. I think to stay fiscally conservative, they had to kind of account for these things. And Utah, the whole time they were talking about how Utah is has always ranked like the best managed state. We're one of the most healthy states. Our economy is booming. And so all of these legislators were really, really worried about the economy if all of our money suddenly had to go to Medicaid expansion because there was all these other things that people wanted. We want higher teacher salaries. We want to give money to the U to cure cancer. We want to do all these other huge projects, but if we're giving all of our general fund money to Medicaid, those projects wouldn't be possible. Did those projects happen in this session? Did we get higher teacher salaries? Yeah, so we had a 4% increase um, in WPUs. Um, I would tell you what that meant, but I don't no, know what I, WP stands for. What w, weighted, pu- weighted pupil unit. There you go. I, I, I know asked. that because I was the first principal of the first charter school in the state of Utah. Oh, dope. Yeah, for two weeks before Why we found a real principal. principal. Down at Tuacon, at the Tuacon Center for the Arts, the Tuacon High School for the Performing Arts is the first charter school in the state. Yeah. And uh, when we opened our doors, we didn't have a principal. And so I was the interim administrator. That poor school. Yeah, well, for two weeks All until we hired John Broberg, who was a great principal. You know, we, we hired a great principal. But, but I like to say that, that I was the first principal of the first charter school in the state because it's technically true. Wow. Well, I didn't do anything other than... Find but you a can real put it principal. on your resume. Yeah, that's correct. Um, but yeah, so no. So the weighted pupil unit, just so just so people understand what that means, is how much we spend per pupil. It's how much you spend per pupil. So Utah char- has ranked lowest in that for a really long time. Yeah, and I think we still do. I'm not sure if we still do, but that not in the legislature. We didn't discuss this, but we talked about it a little bit when I was in high school. Just that like weighted pupil unit isn't always like the best way to rank because you look at other things and Utah is actually getting more bang for their buck out of how much they're spending. Like we still have some of the best education well, systems. Right. The problem with Utah measuring it that way is that we come out so low per pupil because we have so many pupils. Utah has huge stupid families. Stupid Mormons. Uh, you're not allowed to say Mormons anymore. Sorry. Stupid members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You're not supposed to call them stupid or call us stupid. We are members of that church. What do I call church. us? wonderful and mag- oh gosh you're in big big trouble all right well when we get back we're going to talk a little bit more about what utah's education funding really means if that makes any sense 
No, so the weighted pupil unit is one measure of Utah's education spending. But the other thing that's significant is, and I don't know if this is still true, but at one point we were the lowest in WPU funding, but we were the highest in terms of the percentage of the state budget that is devoted to education. And that disparity comes from the fact that you have so many pupils and you have so many big families with lots of children who need a public education. And so we're trying to sort of balance that. So we spend a great deal of money, but since there are so many people in the system, that money per pupil is smaller than other states. Does that make any sense? No, it does. I can't say if that rating is still true, but I know we do spend a ton of money on education because all of our income tax based on the constitution can only go to education and our income tax is booming right now. We have, we have our, you hear the governor talk about, which a lot of the senators argued with, but we talked about a $1.3 billion surplus and that entire surplus was an income tax. So, right. And did it all go to education or did, Everything in the income tax went to education. They, they, in order for something else to happen, it would have had to go through a constitutional amendment, and that couldn't get on the ballot for. Well, you a had while. you had an initiative that would have um, used gas taxes to fund yeah. education. Yeah, that didn't pass though. And that didn't pass. And, and it I, wasn't an initiative; it was just a question. It was a non-binding question. Well, okay, but but I think the reason it didn't pass is that people recognize that a gas tax is not an appropriate funding vehicle for education. So. Um, I voted against it on that basis. I, I am in favor of increased funding for education, but I don't think that's the vehicle through which it should happen. Um, I also voted against it mostly because I talked to mom about it a little bit and Park Lane, the elementary school near us, was touting how much they would get from this gas tax and it was something like $50,000. And we were like, if that is all Park Lane is getting from a huge gas tax increase. We're not, that's just pathetic. There you don't know where this money's going. But... I think this conversation about income tax versus sales tax is one that's really important because the legislature spent a ton of time on tax reform this issue this session. Yeah, and it all went down in flames. Yes and no. I think it will still happen. I just think the house the house was not prepared to pass the bill they had in front of them because they the conversations were they were going to pass it to the Senate and the Senate was going to fix it, but no one knew what the fix was exactly was going to look like. There wasn't time for public comment. And so the legislators decided in the end it was better if we did this during the interim this year. Well, so I have a little bit of insight in that. Uh, There's a lobbyist who is a second tenor in the Tabernacle Choir with me. Can I ask who? Am I allowed to? uh, uh, Howard Headley. He's the head of the Utah Banking Association. He didn't meet with us. Oh, uh, I, I don't know if I'm in trouble for outing him. Sorry, as, Howard. As my inside source. Well, Howard came to me and said, everybody's saying what a great, how great your daughter is. I, mean, I kept getting reports from people who were involved in the legislature. Hey, I saw your daughter up there. She's doing great. Everybody loves her. So, Do you think anyone would come to you, though, and be like, Eliza sucks. Like, she's not <laughs> doing anything she's supposed to. Well, I'm not telling you about all the people that said that. Bummer. I'm sure Andy Stevenson said that all the time. No, Andy Stevenson. We're shouting out to Andy yeah, Stevenson. Hey, Andy. <laughs> Andy's a lobbyist who worked on my father's campaign with me. And he was fun to see around. Many years ago. Son of Howard Stevenson. Who re- he, was Howard in the... No, he just retired, but just he retired. was up there a lot. I, I, I got to meet him. Well, he's the head of the Utah Taxpayers Association. He, he met with Senator Stevenson about it. He didn't meet with us. Because there's another Senator Stevenson. All right. This is all inside baseball. But anyway, Howard Headley was sort of pulling his hair out over the tax reform that was on on tap because primarily it was going to have a, a devastating impact on Utah banks. 
Yeah, because we the were idea- hearing a lot from banks and lawyers and right. people like because the idea was to tax services. Um, because President Adams' favorite analogy was like, um, twenty years ago, if you needed your lawn done, you would go buy a lawnmower, but now you'll hire a lawn service, which isn't true for us because no, we're I, broken. I mow the stinking <laughs> lawn myself. You don't mow the lawn. Jamie mows the lawn. Don't oh, lie. Oh come on, I mow the lawn more than Jamie. Does. But anyways, for people who actually have money and they pay <laughs> someone to mow their lawns for them. And so when you buy the lawnmower, sales tax is collected. But when you pay someone, no sales tax is collected. So our general fund, which pays for everything except for education, so like Medicaid expansion, is seeing a huge decline. And people people got really mad at us because they were emailing. They're like, no, there's a growth. You can look at all these charts and there's a growth. And what we are always saying is it's not how... Decline in what? Decline, decline in, in the general fund money. Um, and so, being collected... From services. No, because right now no, no tax money is collected from services. Right, right. There's a decline because no one is buying things anymore. We're just paying other people to do it. So like like a lot of people get their nails done now instead of buying nail polish. Oh, well, there's all kinds of services though that we – and we still buy stuff. Who doesn't buy stuff? I buy lots of stuff. Apparently rich people don't buy things anymore. Well, okay. Then I'm not rich. But that's, Yes. Good. That's what this podcast was to no, do. No, but, but, but I mean people <sighs> – I think no matter what way you slice it, we have an issue with our taxes here. And so the proposed thing in uh, HB 441, which was the tax bill that your friend Howard and every other lobbyist and person in the state of Utah was mad at us for, um, proposed putting a tax on services to try and stabilize the general fund so we can continue to pay for important things in Utah. But all these people were saying it's going to change the way we do business. It's like this is going to kill our industry. But... Well, Howard's point for banks was, uh, if I have if I have the choice to go to a bank, a Utah bank, where I'm going to get charged for services, or go to a national bank and bank online, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go to the national bank yeah. because then I can avoid the tax on services. No, and, and legislators heard that argument. They understand, like, which is part of the reason they put it on hold, because they don't want to penalize Utah companies. We had a lot of travel agencies reaching out to us saying the same thing, where it's like, if you put a tax... If you put like a 3% tax on our services, people are just going to go to out-of-state travel agencies because they'll cost less. Who goes to travel agencies, period, anymore? That's something. God, we're still poor. <laughs> no, but I mean, we traveled to Europe this last summer and we didn't go through a travel agency. Uh, Mom basically is a travel agency. Well, when we planned our honeymoon. People who don't have Laurel. Oh, 25 you should have your honeymoon because your honeymoon wasn't well planned out. You probably should have used a but travel we, agency. We did. We did. We went well. We bought the tickets to a travel agency in Jackson Hole. Okay, well, you should have used a travel agency for all of the stuff in between. Because Mom has told me horror stories of showing up to London, being like, "So where's our hotel?" Oh. And you were like, "Oh, we were supposed to have a hotel." I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into. This is a political podcast. Let's not talk about my honeymoon. <laughs> our honeymoon was wonderful. So that's all you need to know. That's all our listeners need to know. Don't you think? I don't care anymore. You don't care. Well, so. I Howard was also talking about the possibility that, for instance, piano teachers would have to pay yeah. taxes. Yeah. So the yeah. So the argument for that one was like because there are a lot of especially like I see this a lot. Like there are girls my age who do cosmetology and are earning minimal amounts of money. But if they were have if they were if they were to have to collect and remit sales tax, like they're not even making enough money. Like it would be like a big chunk. And so there was a proposal to set a lit like a you have to earn so much in order to have to collect sales tax. And so like people like our piano teacher wouldn't have to do that because they didn't reach that bar. Well, how do you know your piano teacher didn't reach that bar? 
You have no idea how much your piano teacher makes. Well, I know how much her hourly is. I know how many students she has. And so then you can... So you can do some math. You can do some quick math and realize she doesn't make... I can't remember what the bar was, but I think I thought about... It. I, I'm pretty sure I went through her. We talked about a lot... Because we talked about nail people. We talked about hairstylists. People like, who does my hair? She does her, my hair out of her house. And she doesn't... She's not a huge stylist. She doesn't do it... To, she does it to a couple clients a week. So she's not making enough money to have to collect and remit sales tax. And so these are conversations that are being had currently Um, are we going to solve all this by the interim session the governor really wants to and i think it is important that something is addressed because right now a lot of economists are predicting another recession by 2020 and if we go into a recession with our current sales structure utah will crumble because we don't have the money in our general fund to keep paying for things like medicaid expansion and so a lot of people who are supported through food through food stamps and other things a lot of those programs are going to fall through if we have to hit another recession and don't have a change in the tax restructuring all right well when we get back from our break we're going to talk about some of the more controversial issues Uh, i want to get your take on the failure of the conversion therapy bill Mm So last week, Abby and I spent most of the time talking about the conversion therapy bill, particularly about the history of conversion therapy and how awful it is and all of those kinds of things. Right. She she insisted that I edit out certain words. And so, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Certainly, this was a huge topic of conversation. Yeah. On the Senate, can you give me some inside baseball on what was happening? Um, this was an issue that's near and dear to President Adams' heart. He, I can't remember the bill number, but a couple years ago, he was the pioneer into these protecting LGBTQ plus people while preserving um, our religious freedoms, which is very important in Utah. That Steve we, Urquhart had a lot to do with that bill. Yeah, Steve Urquhart did, and he President the, Adams. No, President Adams was the sponsor. Oh, okay. President Adams worked a lot with the church and with a lot with Equality Utah to try and find this balance. And I think he did an amazing job of it. But yeah, so for President Adams to go into the session, seeing another major issue for LGBTQ and religious freedom, um, he definitely was very interested, invested in it. And so he really wanted to see this bill pass. This bill died in the House. The Senate never got it. Oh, Senate never got it. Senate never got it. It died in House committee. Um, so it never even made it to a, either floor. When it came to Senate, President Adams was very committed to getting the right language through. And so we never really got to play around with what that language is since it never came to our committees. We never really got to play around with the substitute. Um, but we, he has been talking to Equality Utah. Uh, Senator McKay, who was the Senate sponsor for conver- the conversion therapy bill, has still been talking to Equality Utah. And I believe this is a bill that will come back next session. Um, and I believe it will start on the Senate side because the Senate really really wants this to happen and they really want to ban conversion therapy because we've seen it hurt Utah citizens and no one wants to see that. Well, Troy Williams resigned from the suicide task force in protest of Governor Herbert's endorsement of Representative Lisenby's bill. Yeah. And that's what killed it was Governor Herbert stepping in and saying, oh, this watered down alternative, this is... It was already dead at that point. It had already been put on hold in committee by the time Governor Herbert came out with his statement. And if it's put on hold in committee, it's essentially dead. Nothing really comes off of that. Okay, but so it didn't die until after she watered down the bill then? No, it was her language that killed the bill. Right. But Governor Herbert, I could be remembering this incorrectly, but I believe Governor Herbert's statement about the watered down language came after it had gone through committee hearing because she had proposed a substitute during committee. Okay. 
Well, I st- still very frustrating, I think, and I'm I'm glad to hear that you think it's going to come back in the next in the next session. This yeah. is, this isn't something they're going to deal with in the interim session. No, the interim session they're trying to stay very focused on tax reform. They don't like to come in and do a ton of bills. They like to have one issue, mostly because they all have day jobs, and so right. the more bills, the more controversial bills they bring forward the less they can pay attention to their actual jobs. Yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense. Well, were there any other controversial bills up there that were surprising that people might not have known about? There were things that were bubbling up that never really sort of broke through into the public consciousness? Yes. I'm trying to think of them. (laughs) I remember bills that, like there was one, oh, here's one. There was one that President Adams' constituents were really involved on was Legacy Parkway. Because Legacy Parkway's um, ban on trucks is sunset to end this year. So oh. trucks will be able to go on Legacy Parkway. And a lot of people who live up in that area were, are really mad about this. And they really want the legislature to extend the ban on trucks because they think it's going to be noisy. It's going to hurt air Like it's going to hurt the air quality. It's going to be more dangerous. And so that was one that died in committee as well. And so it never made it to the floor. But we saw a lot of emails and constituent involvement on so um, they were asking for a bill that would extend the ban on trucks. Yeah. And it didn't pass. It didn't pass. So the trucks are going to be able to drive on Legacy Parkway. Yeah. Well, I don't see that being that big a deal, but I don't live up there. But I've driven on Legacy Parkway. You have that big, huge sign that says no trucks. Yeah, I think I've driven on it once. So oh. I, I have well, no it's, real It's opinion. parallel to I-15 to a That's large degree. That's what the trucking industry was saying was just like, I don't see it make, we're, we're going to go wherever it's faster like so right legacy parkway is actually longer yeah and so if legacy parkway doesn't turn out to be faster then you probably won't see trucks on it okay well what other controversial bills as you as you think no not not a whole lot no there were some they killed one about body cams on police officers there was a bill about that that died on the senate floor and that was controversial that was the first bill that died on the senate floor would would have required no it would have allowed You don't even know what it is. I can't remember. I know exactly what it did, but I can't remember which side it was. It's about whether or not they have to turn on their cams when they're talking to a supervisor. I, yeah, so this is what it was. The bill required that when a cop is going to talk to their supervisor, they have to keep their camera on um, to try and keep like transparency. But the argument against that was we're going to like penalize like the human instinct and like, we're not going to let anyone make mistakes. And so that's going to like actually turn into like more issues. And so I think that's why it died. I was very surprised that died on a very close vote. I think it was 14 to 15. Well, so supervisors didn't want it to pass. They didn't want to be held accountable. Was it that wasn't the more issue? the supervisor. I think it was more like senators who were arguing against it. They didn't think this inherently was bad. They think it was more like opening the door. That's something I didn't know about was that every single bill is not just looked at as its own language, but also what does this open the door to in the future? It's the whole slippery slope argument. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I can understand that to some degree. Although the whole issue of body cams really came to a head when you had that incident that went viral about the, you know, the the police officer who arrested a nurse who re- right. refused to give her a blood sample, give him a yeah. blood sample. Yeah. And, you know, you look at that and you say body cams are extraordinarily, val- extraordinarily valuable. We wouldn't no, know I about agree. that if we didn't have a body cam. I agree. That's one. You'd think that if cops truly believe they're in the right in all times, then... 
they would want people filming the same way people film cops to like hold them accountable. Right. But that's a whole different. Well, nobody likes to be filmed 24 hours a day. Um, I do. I want to be like the Kardashians where I have a camera crew following Uh, me everywhere. Well, besides the Kardashians, I don't understand why Kim Kardashian, who has psoriasis, I have psoriasis. And I am taking a new medication that has essentially gotten rid of psoriasis. Why won't Kim Kardashian do that? Kim Kardashian is very into natural things. But that's Um, stupid. She should have, she should take the medicine to get rid of her psoriasis. No? I I think you calling Kim Kardashian stupid is kind of funny since she is wildly more successful than you. So obviously she's not that stupid. Oh, well, that's fine. Well, she has other skills that I do not have. But we won't get it. I'm sure you do. That's just absolutely lovely. What would Kim Kardashian think of your work for a Republican on the Hill? Is I'm she- not sure. I'm not, um, she's, more, she's definitely a Democrat, while her husband is kind of Republican. He's weird with politics. But it's fun to watch Kim Kardashian get involved in criminal justice reform in California, especially. Um, there was an article that said she is literally one of the forefront people right now in criminal justice reform. Which just every time someone says Kim Kardashian doesn't have talents, I point to that and say she is doing more than anyone else in this country. She has gotten so many people who were wrongfully convicted released. So props to her. Well, no one can ever talk bad about her. I'm sure. When we get back from our break, I want to talk about Utah's efforts in criminal justice reform. So for years, I've been involved with a nonprofit that teaches a cognitive behavioral model to probationers and parolees. And we've gone to the legislature and tried to get some funding. And it's my understanding that there is uh, momentum towards reforming the criminal justice system here in Utah as well. Did anything like that come up in this last session? Um, The main one I can think of is HJR9, which was run by Sandra Hollins. Um, and it refers, it's talking about slavery. And so right now, so we banned slavery in Utah. Well, slavery was already banned. Okay. So good, good. Um, we use the same language as the amendment in the United States constitution that said neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime, whereof the state, the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the state. And so basically we were allowing involuntary servitude for like for prisoners, like they could basically be forced to do work. Um, so Sandra Hollins proposed that except as punishment for crime be taken out, just banning all slavery or involuntary servitude. Okay. That passed. That is now we're taking that out of the constitution. So all we can't slavery. make prisoners work. So that was the question is because there, a lot of the legislators see a lot of benefit to that. They think it's good for the prisoners. Um, and so we talked to the legal arm of the legislature a lot, um, about this and what they said is that right now we don't at least in utah i can't i know this happens a lot in other places in the united states but at least in utah if a prisoner does not want to work they don't have to they're not required to do like the jobs or anything okay and so this amendment will not change that like prisoners who want to work still can and they still will be paid very very minimal i think they're paid something like oh, 10 yeah, cents yeah, an hour they're paid nothing hardly but, um, but i think a lot of them because i know a lot of people that do business with the prison they yeah. actually build things with prison labor well even stuff in the capital is built by prison labor a lot of the furniture oh okay which they're actually very proud of they think it's like a very cool thing to like a lot of these prisoners don't have these skills going in and they can learn things right. like how to build and that hopefully they'll come out with 
newly acquired skills that help them re-enter society. Well, I think most of them would prefer to be doing something than just sitting alone in their cells. Yeah. Too. So, but on the floor, it was asked that if this passed, would they be allowed to have legislative interns? And that was decided yes. So apparently, my intern experience was not slavery. All right. Well, that sounds really kind of nice. Yeah. But nothing else on criminal justice reform. Nothing big that I can remember. I'm sure there were small tweaks, but. No huge reform as of now. Well, uh, going forward, that's something I'm watching, not just on a state level, but on a national level. Because if you can cut recidivism, cut the amount of repeat offenders, you can save an extraordinary amount of money. Yeah. And and well, well, what I think is interesting with criminal justice reform is there's no evidence that longer time in jail really like dissuade people or protect... like. And so I think it's really interesting because we talk about criminal justice reform and the direction criminal justice reform is going to is more options for community service, right. more like specialized courts, like drug courts, right. just le- less jail time. But then you see, this is what I was thinking about, is then you see like these stories in the news where people don't get jail time and people are livid and saying these people need to go to jail. How dare they? Yeah. And so I think that's going to be something to watch is how the public shifts in their perception of... We want criminal justice reform, but we also want to punish these people. And so that'll right. be an interesting dialogue to watch. Right. And and the more I've been involved in it, the less I am convinced that retribution or the desire for retribution does anybody any good. Yeah. I just It's just not helpful. I think when somebody is dangerous, lock them up to keep them from hurting other people. But I don't think anybody benefits just by saying, aha, we don't like you, and so we're going to lock you up because that makes us feel better that we're punishing you. So Wanda Barzi? Yeah, Brian David Mitchell's wife. Brian David Mitchell, Elizabeth Smart. um, She just, she was released. That was a really, I've read things by Elizabeth Smart who said she was so livid. And of course she was. Like these people like took nine months of her life and did terrible things to her. But the prison and the mental... Um, health professional said like she's not a dangerous society anymore there's no reason to be sending, spending tax dollars and so they let her free they let her reach parole and so it's stuff like that where it's there's no reason for her to stay in prison but you see these people who are advocating really hard for her to stay in prison simply because they they're really upset by it and so i think both sides are valid but i think it's going to have to be some sort of equilibrium that we come to as we approach criminal justice reform because we never want to make people like elizabeth smart feel un- invalid because what she's feeling is totally valid, but we also want to make sure that our criminal justice system is working the way we want it to. Good advice. So if you are listening to this podcast on the radio, please be sure to subscribe at iTunes or at the KSL Podcast Center. And until next week, uh, well, Eliza, thank you very much for your report. Appreciate that very much. I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Eliza Bennett. And we'll see you next time on Dinner Table Politics.